been here for about a year and a half. I quietly snuck into the back and I was ready to leave right away. And I, I'm sure it was Ojima who just walked by with a huge smile on her face and welcomed me and the warmth that she radiated, it just, it was overwhelming. And the next week I came back, she remembered me, she said hello, and it just gave me a, a sense of welcoming, a sense of community that I hadn't experienced anywhere else. I met some really wonderful people and have strong friendships, more so than I've had in my whole life. The more I get involved with this church, the more I develop long-lasting relationships, the, the stronger that they get, and the more of a sense of community that I get. This church has grown almost 100% in the year that I've been here. Every week, the parking lot gets fuller and the seats get fewer. People open the doors for you, they smile for you. It's it's really a sense of community that's lacking in the world today that Waters Church tries to bring and does deliver. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. We are looking at a new series. It feels like home. And the question that I want to answer for these next three weeks of this series the question that I have aimed at in coming up with and thinking about what direction to go when it comes to this series is this simple question. What does it take for a church to feel like home? And so for the next three weeks, I'm going to present you with three answers that I believe We'll answer that question fully and also orient our church and everybody here around that purpose. A lot of people go to church. A lot of people come to buildings on Sunday or in our case, Saturday. A lot of people have no idea why they're doing it. I want to answer that question. And there are people here and there are people in churches all across the world, all across America and especially, I think, in New England, that go to church just because it's the right thing to do. We should go to church. We should see what God has to say every seventh day. Duty, ritual, tradition. There are many people who say, I can't leave my church and come to your church because this is where my grandmother went to church. And if I went to another church, she would roll over in her grave. There are many people that are tied to tradition in going to church. There are many people who are tied to ritual and duty and a sense that it's a way to kind of get an in with God. That if I go to church, God will bless me. God will have to bless me because that's, that's how it works. We show up to church on Sunday and he blesses us on Monday. A lot of people have that kind of a relationship with God. And a lot of people have that kind of relationship from ch with church. And then there's another crowd of people who they just kind of go. They don't even know why they go. They just go. And if that's you and you're here and you don't even know why you're here, first off, let me say that I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here for whatever reason that you're here. We want you here. And I want you to know that we don't care what you're like, what you're about, what you believe, what, you're, what you did last night. That's not what we're about. I don't care what you're drinking, what you're smoking, who you're sleeping with. We want you to come and hear about Jesus Christ. 
And so some of you are here, you were dragged here by a friend, you're dragged here by your spouse, you don't want to be here, you are counting down the minutes until I'm done. And I'll tell you right now, I've been on vacation for three weeks and there's about 55 minutes left. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. <laughs> Neither was that. <laughs> and so some of you, you don't even know why you're here. And then, then there's another crowd of people who I really love. I love this about you. You love this church. And if we let you, you would move in. <laughs> and that kind of freaks us out about you. But we're cool. We're cool with that. Just so long as you don't actually move in. We're cool with that. But you love it here. And you would say, it feels like home. You would say that at first it was strange, and I don't know why I came, but I came like Chris said on the video. But you came and you stayed, and eventually it fit. And we got inside of your heart. And you hopefully are inside of ours. And that church, this amazing organization that Jesus Christ came to start, is more than just sitting and watching to a guy up on the stage or a band up on the stage. It's more than just ritual and tradition and, and going through the motions every seventh day of your week. That if we believe that this is a family and that we're a part of a worldwide family that is called by the name of Jesus, that is baptized in his spirit, that is united through the bond of peace, that, is, that has been brought near not just to each other, but to God. We want you to feel at home. And so that's my prayer, and we're going to answer this question for the next three weeks. What does it take to feel like home? Answer number one. So the whole message is going to answer, is going to, is going to center on this answer. So I'm giving the answer up front. Please don't check out after you get the answer. <laughs> answer number one, today's message, the answer to how a church feels like home is when you have the opportunity to belong while you are broken. Everybody's broken. Everybody is broken. Why do people do the things that they do to each other? Because we're broken. Now, there's another way of saying it. It's a more biblical way of saying it. We're sinful. We don't like to talk about being sinful, but the fact of the matter is we're sinful. Now, let me just say something real quickly so that we're, we're on the same level playing field. That being a sinful person does not mean that you break things only. Being sinful means that, yes, you're going to break things. You're going to break relationships. You're going to break hearts. You're going to break people. You're going to break systems. And, a, and, a, and especially, you're going to break laws. Did anybody speed on the way to church this morning, this evening? Yes, no, snow kept you slow. Praise God. Amen. But you break things. Do you know why you break things? Because you're broken. It's not activity before it's a condition. And sin is not activity before its condition. Sin is a condition. It is not, I made a mistake. No, 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 you made the mistake because you're broken. 
And you and I are broken people who constantly break things. And there is a horrible false belief in a lot of people's hearts that think that they've got to get back together again before they can come to church. And nothing can be further from the truth because if that was the case, then none of you belong here. And I will lead the charge out the door because I don't belong if I need to be put together again. I'm broken as well. And there is this false message sent I don't know, inadvertently or, 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 or purposefully, uh, that you got to get your act together before you come back to church or come to church. No. No, 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 no. You come broken, and you stay as God puts you back together piece by piece. And then he builds on what he's put back together, and he perfects what he's put together, and that he grows you from one level of glory to another until the day that you see his face. And that's the beauty of this movement. Because what does a home do for anybody? How do you know when you feel like you belong? It's when you can be yourself and still stay there. Right? That's what our homes do. That's, that, that's what a marriage is about. That's what parenting is about. That's what being brothers and sisters is about. That you can mess it up big time, but then turn around and say, I messed up. I blew it. Will you take me back? And for them to say, yes, of course, your family. That's what it means. That's what it takes to believe that you belong and that you feel at home. So, um, it's been uh, three weeks, and I've been dying to talk about this wonderful wall behind me. Love this wall. Anybody like this wall? You love it? Lorenzo loved the wall. <laughs> Pastor Geyser in Norwood is building his own wall. <laughs> it's a wonderful wall. So my wife came up with the idea to build this amazing wall, and I thought about it, and I said, you know, that's a great idea. Honey, it's going to take a lot of work. She said, get busy. <laughs> so Shane and I on Veterans Day, Veterans Day, this past Veterans Day, we get into his truck. We drive all the way up to New Hampshire. And we get out of the car at this place. We found this guy on Craigslist. How many know you find some interesting characters <laughs> on Craigslist? I pray for those who find their spouses <laughs> on Craigslist. Don't do Craigslist. Do Waters Church small group. You have a much better chance. Amen, somebody. Amen, small group leaders. But, but we drive up there, and I'll tell you something. I've met a lot of characters on Craigslist. This guy takes the cake. This guy is character number one. And he's just, he gets out. He doesn't even say hi to us. He says, you here for the wood? Yeah, we're here for the wood. All right, come with me. And he walks through, and his, his, his lawn was a junkyard. It was just everywhere stuff a blender over here <laughs> windows over there a door there kids stuff crib stuff all over the place he just wanders and saunters around you know even looking at us and just starts dragging this lumber through his junkyard and just dropping it at our feet and he would disappear for a few moments and come back with another couple of pieces and just drop it at our feet and Shane and I are like what on earth is this does he see us are we here and then I look at the wood and I'm like no 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 this is wrong 
This, is, this can't be what Cheryl is thinking. So I take out my phone, thank God for text messaging, and I take a picture and I send it to her and I say, honey, I think we made a bad mistake. And she writes back, she says, it's perfect. <laughs> I said, let me get a better shot because I don't know if you see what I see. And so I'm trying to make sure she understands just how horrible this wood is. Nothing's going to go. It doesn't match. It's unclean. It's scarred. It's, some of it's got paint on it, and some of it's different colors, and it's, and it's all different shapes and sizes, and there's no rhyme or reason to what you're putting together again. And, and I learned a long time ago, and all you husbands will resonate with this, that when it comes to design and style, you learn how to shut your mouth as quickly as possible. <laughs> and so we load up the truck, and we bring this heaping pile of crappy wood into this building. I almost felt unclean. Bring it in, and we stack it outside my office where, like the volunteer, those of you who volunteer, you know that my office is right by the door where you come in on the other side of the building so that we can leave parking for people who are new out in this side. And so... Um, a couple of weeks go by, and the wood is just sitting there. And every time I'm going to my office, I'm just like, that is just the nastiest wood. And I'm going by it every single day. And then, and then a volunteer comes in one Sunday, and Cheryl's in the hallway. And the volunteer says, what's this? And Cheryl says, oh, that's the wood for our new stage. And the volunteer says, well, I guess you got to take what you could get, you know. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers. We wanted to be like, are you kidding me? We actually paid a lot of money for this wood. And, and, and then I realized that, that, that Cheryl saw in this wood something that I couldn't see, something that that volunteer couldn't see. But something could be done with this wood. And this wood is a picture of us, that what Cheryl did for this wood, Jesus did for you. Because other people looked at you and said, nah, no, look at the scars and the paint and the bad paint and the mistakes and the shapes and the sizes and the differences. They'll never go together, never, never, never. And God has a wonderful sense of humor to say, perfect. That's the people I'm going to bring together in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, to do something amazing for the glory of Jesus. See, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22 says, In him, you also, you, you people, those of you who love Jesus, are being built. What's the next word? Together. Somebody say, we're in this together. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're in this together. For better or worse. Amen. Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know what else I love about this wood? This wood, it comes from all over New England. The guy in New Hampshire, the weirdo from Craigslist, told me <laughs> that it comes from all all over. I tried to witness to him. He wasn't having it. I mean, it was bad. But um, 
he told me that this piece over here, this red piece, that red piece, that comes from a barn door in Manchester, New Hampshire. And this piece right here comes from the floor of an old courtroom in Burlington, Vermont. And then this piece right here was part of a floor in a church where Abraham Lincoln went and campaigned for president of the United States. And all of that is a lie. <laughs> I'm just playing. Gosh, I shouldn't have gone that far with that one. But nonetheless, it is from all over New England. I have no idea where it's from. You all were like, oh. I am so bad. I'm sorry. I just, I'm going to scratch that for the rest of the weekend. Um, <laughs> that's us, isn't it? That's us, all from different areas. And we don't, I don't know where, from, where all of you are from, thank God. It's not important. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God. For God. For God. I love that. It's not for me. And it's not for the elders, and it's not for the deacon. It's for God, by the Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done here. And I, I'm believing by faith that this is going to be the last stage design we will see in this building. And then the next one will be over there. Amen? All right, Mark chapter 2. Here's what it says. Mark chapter 2, you got your Bibles, let's look at it. And when he returned, Jesus, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was, do you got your Bible out? What does it say? Does he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them, uh, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get in or get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. <laughs> and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak through me and that our hearts will be yielded to you and our minds will be open to you. Manifest yourself in our lives. Change our hearts. Transform us into the image of Jesus for his name's sake. In his name we pray. Amen. 
What does it take for a church to be a place where people who are broken can still feel like they belong? Point number one, if you're taking notes, it takes people to bring people to Jesus. We have to understand that we are in the reclaiming business. We are in the reclaiming people business. What my wife saw in this wood, we need to see in people. It's not happening by Jesus showing up in a ghostly appearance for people. It's not happening by Jesus uh, reappearing in this trans-like state so that people are like, oh, that's Jesus. Oh, and they come. No, it usually happens because somebody says, you need to meet Jesus to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And it usually happens with people who have a a passionate experience with Jesus who, who know in their hearts that other people need to know Jesus. There's something that happens when you're truly converted. You can't keep it to yourself. Amen? Like your thanksgivings are ruined from this point forward. You used to go to Thanksgiving and be one of the people, one of the family. It was fine. Everybody talked about football and food and you had your Dinner, and that was it. And then you found Jesus, and something dramatic happened in your life, and now Thanksgiving is rough for you. It's uncomfortable. They're like, oh, the Jesus freak is here. <laughs> Who invited him? Who, did you invite I don't know. He's family. I guess we got to welcome him in. I mean, and it's tough, and it's difficult, and now you're struggling with some relationships, and, and that's the way that Jesus does it. He comes, and he kind of wrecks our relationships, and he, and he ruins our peace a little bit, and he messes with our lives, and, and it's wonderful and glorious and frustrating all at the same time. Because that's what it means to love Jesus, that you were dying to know him and you long to help others know him. It takes people to bring people to Jesus. Point number two, if you're taking notes, it takes more than one person to bring people to Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, this is point 1A. Point 1A. How many of you, uh, at least one person influenced you, one person influenced you to come to Jesus? Raise your hand. Now, how many of you could say this honestly? It took more than a few people, more than one, more than one person to come and, and be an influence on you to bring you to Jesus. Raise your hand. Like almost the same number. Most of us, that's our experience. It took several nudges, right? We had the conversation with our mom, and that didn't go over well because we were really hardened. And then we had a conversation with our boss, or we had a conversation with or somebody on TV or something like that. And, and usually, listen, this is the frustration with, with telling. I know we need to tell people our, our faith. We need to tell people about Jesus. And some of us are very discouraged because we don't see any fruit. We're like, I've tried, Pastor. I've tried. They don't like me. <laughs> right? Okay, let, let me free you from the burden of feeling like you need to get your entire company saved tomorrow. You are just a nudge in the right direction. And usually it takes like 17 nudges <laughs> to get somebody to cross the line. Really, it does. You might be number four. You might be number 11. I feel bad if you're number one. Because you get that brunt force trauma at you right there. I mean, it's just like, don't you talk to me. You Christians are all the same. I know you. Yeah, ah, ah, right? But somebody, somebody has to be first on the beach at Normandy. Yeah? 
Somebody has to take the shots so that somebody else can come in and take some lesser shots. So that somebody else can come in and take some milder shots. And then somebody else can come in and storm the castle and say, all right, are you done doing life on your terms? Let's find Jesus together. It takes more than one. Partnership. Together. Bringing people to Jesus. I am... Um, Last time we were here together, I was preaching on Christmas Eve, and I told you about a story about how I feel scared to go to a new church, you know, as a pastor, and um, when I go on vacation. And so this vacation, I went to a new church, again, a church I'd never been to, but I didn't feel scared. I didn't feel scared. Do you know what I realized was the difference? I had a relationship with somebody who went to the church that brought me there. And them bringing me to the church made it really easy to come to the church. I had a friend who said, hey, come. Sometimes that's the easiest way to share your faith. Why don't you just come? Why don't you come? Be an escort. Let me ask you a question. Who's on your mat? Who's on your mat? Who, who are you carrying to find Jesus? If, if there's nobody... Maybe it's time to pray, okay, God, who should be on my mat? Because somebody carried your mat. Somebody thought you were worth it. Somebody looked at you and said, she's somebody for whom Jesus Christ died. He's somebody made in the image of God who's lost and broken. Somebody thought you were worth it. Who's on your mat? And somebody did a lot of work. So this is point number two, finally. Point number two, all right? It takes work to bring people to Jesus. It takes work. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's draining. It's, it, it tires you out. It's exhausting sometimes to be that person who is working to help other people know Jesus. These guys carried him. They carried a man down the street, around the crowd, up the stairs. Have you ever carried something up the stairs? Like that's the weight of a human being? And, and this is a human being, all right? You're carrying a piano up the stairs. The piano falls. Oh, well, piano. The human falls. <laughs> Bad, right? They're carrying him up the stairs. They dig a hole in the roof. Luke says that they dig through the tiles on the roof while holding the paralytic man. This is work. And then they get the hole open and then they lower him slowly in front of Jesus, not hurting him any further. That's work. A lot of people do a lot of work to make this church happen, to make this moment happen where we open the Bible and talk about Jesus. You know, this wall, it came together with a lot of people doing a lot of work. So it's the wood sitting outside my office for like six weeks there or whatever, and it's getting close to Christmas, and we want to get this up for Christmas, and I'm, we're kind of stressing out about this. Uh, my wife and I are looking at each other like, I can't do it. Can you do it? No, I can't do it. Who's going to do it? And so we are like stressing. And then one of our drummers, Mike, who played this morning, he comes in at the moment Cheryl is standing by the wood and says, this is like how God ordains things. It's amazing. And, and he says, where did you get this wood? 
And we're like, oh, we got it. We're going to hopefully put a new stage up. He's like, I love this wood. And a light bulb goes off over our heads. We're like, here's the guy. (laughs) To put the wood on the stage because it's like two weeks from Christmas. And he works with that wood all the time, he says. And, And so we say, all right, you the man. Put it up there, you know, see what you can do. And he and, and Len and a couple other people get a big team together. And the weekend before Christmas, while you guys were all piling out, they came and took everything down and then worked for the next week to put every piece of wood right where it belongs. It took a lot of work. They did so much work. And I even had the audacity to tell them, give me a pulpit made out of the wood. And they did it. And they did it. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's exhausting, and it takes time and effort. And we, we have a saying here in our, in our church. We have a saying. Uh, the sermon begins in the parking lot. That that's when people start making a judgment call as to, are they trustworthy? Can I feel comfortable here? Will they accept me? The sermon begins in the parking lot. So when you're the person out there standing in the parking lot with a big smile on your face as snow falls on your head in January, people know there's something different about you because New Englanders do not stand in the snow with smiles on their heads, right? This just does not happen unless you're 12, okay? But, but adults don't do this. And, and you're going to see these videos as we continue to play them for the next three weeks that how many people say The thing that impressed me most about this place was how happy everybody was to see me, how welcoming they were. Do you understand how powerful that is to be welcomed, to be okay when you enter a new place? That's what it means to work to bring people to Jesus. And if you're a volunteer here, you do a lot of work and Sometimes it's as simple as just sitting toward the front, even though you don't want to. Even though you don't want to. You'd rather be a back row Christian because you like to observe everybody else's response. (laughs) But you choose to sit toward the front so that guys like Chris on the video can come in the back, slip in, and slip out. While he's kicking the tires of Christianity and seeing if it fits. And some of you, uh, well, you're not you, not you people, but last night's people, chose to go to Saturday night, and we had over 400 people come to our Saturday night services last week, this, week, this weekend. It's wonderful. I was like amazed that that many people did it. And, and thank those people so that we can have room on Sunday services. Because most people are going to come Sunday who are not here, who are not here yet. Little things like that that help bring people to Jesus. And some of you do a lot of work, like setting up the cafe and tearing down the cafe and doing security and helping getting all these things organized with Interfo Central and everything like that. I mean, there's a lot of work that happens here. A lot of people are carrying the mat. Now, if you've been carried on the mat, it's time to carry somebody else's mat. Some of, some of the people in this church do this amazingly, amazingly crazy thing. They actually take your children into their care. They don't know if your kid is diseased, if 
he's weird, they don't know what issues he's got, and they take your children, and they don't get paid for it. And then they hand them back to you healthy, right? Undestroyed. <laughs> because, because they want you to be able to come and listen to the message and not be distracted. It takes work. And so we're in this together. God's bringing us together. It takes work to make it happen. Number three, it takes functional faith to bring people to Jesus. Functional faith. Not faith, functional. Faith that is visible. It says in Mark 2, verse 5, that when Jesus saw their faith, he saw the hole in the roof, he saw them lowering it down, he said, I see it. That's faith right there. Functional. Faith that gets your hands dirty. Faith that, that leaves some, some scarring there because you've been messing with the muck and the mire of life and sin and brokenness and it hurts and it's tough and it feels uncomfortable at times, but, but that's what people are. And people see it. And so we gotta, listen, we gotta do some things as a, as a body of believers that if we believe in Jesus, it's, it's more than just praying and singing. It's more than just showing up and saying hello. It's more than just being here. It's, it's visible, tangible, muck and mire. Look at my hands. That's the evidence. There's calluses there. There's names that have been, that have been formed there because I've been putting my hand to the plow and it hurts. But it's visible. And it's like we got to take our faith from the ivory towers of philosophy and put it onto the ground of functionality and get it to be seen by those who we live with and do life together with. Like, like wives, like you, you have faith, right? And, and you want your husband to know Jesus. Well, well, are you doing things that will help him come to Jesus and those things better not be nagging him about how bad he is or coming to church? But doing what the Bible tells you to do, which is submit to him and serve him without words so that he might be won by the character of your life. You can nag him to church. He'll come twice a week or a year, Christmas and Easter. You know, that, you know, that nice moral victory. But if you really want to have your faith on the ground, then it's going to take you to do some things that are uncomfortable. Not natural, but it's visible. And guys, you say, I want to be a faithful man. Okay, a faithful man. You want to be a faithful man? Be faithful to your kids and to your spouse and to your wife and to love them as Christ loved the church and lay down your life to the, for them. You want to be a faithful man of God in business? Do your business with upstanding ethics and character and integrity. And You want to be a, a, a Christian in the workplace? Okay, some of you, it's just doing your job to the best of your ability when nobody is watching you because you know that Jesus is always watching and you're working for him, not for man. That's faith on the ground. That's functional faith. That's visible faith. And that's what it takes to bring people to Jesus because people don't need pulpiteer Christians 
People don't need people pounding the pulpit in the workplace and saying, you need to really stop doing what you're doing. Don't you understand? They don't need that because we've done that. It doesn't work. They need feet on the ground. People who will be Jesus to them in their respective place in society. Number four. Oh, wait, before we get there, it brings me to my theme for the year, our theme for 2014 as a church. This is where the rubber bands come in. All right? Take them and just stretch them. This is the theme for 2014. The blessing is in the stretching. I believe God is going to stretch us as never before as a church. If we're going to get that land up the street, stretching. Stretching by some of you just saying, I'm going to commit to 15 minutes a day before I get out of my house. I'm going to commit to praying for that land for our church. And stretch yourself. And some of you are going to stretch yourself by getting involved in ministry here, and children's ministry, or camera ministry, or welcome team ministry, whatever. Stretching yourself. And there's always this little hesitation. Here's the hesitation. Here's the hesitation. You hear a message like this. You sign up for the ministry. You get the email back from the ministry leader, and you're scheduled to go on. And then that's the enemy will wait out all those little steps and he will come in on the morning on which you are scheduled to start serving other people and say, you're not cut out for this. Why don't you back out while you still have a chance? I think you made a big mistake. By the way, don't you remember that you sinned on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? And he will come and tell you all these things that make you unfit. Now, let me just say this very quick, because it happens to me too, that you have to stretch through that little moment, because he does it to everybody. And just say, no, devil, shut up. In Jesus' name, I'm going to serve other people because I was on their mat at one point, and i got to put some people on my mat and help bring other people to Jesus. Amen, anybody? Amen. Number four, finally. It takes letting go to bring people to Jesus. Okay, I want to say it like this. Bring them to Jesus and then get out of the way. <laughs> bring them to Jesus and then get out of the way. Let Jesus do what Jesus wants to do with them. All right? They bring this paralytic to Jesus. They lay him at Jesus' feet. And what does Jesus say when he sees the paralytic? Son, your sins are forgiven. You just see the four guys like, uh, Jesus, he's, <laughs> he's paralyzed. Don't know if you noticed the mat, the non-moving. That's what we were hoping you would just take care of. Just fix the paralysis and let's get the next guy in here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jesus says, I'm going to forgive him because that's the more important thing. And then he did heal him. He did heal him, but only, only to prove that he had the authority and the power to take care of his real problem, and his real problem was the condition of his heart, the sin condition. And there are two words for, the, for forgive in the New Testament. There are two words, two words. 
The first one has to do with a graciousness to people. This is what people do for other people, that we forgive. Okay, so you hurt me, you sinned against me, I'm not going to hold it against you, I'm going to forgive you. Okay, but, but the word that Mark uses here for forgive in the New Testament here, where Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, is literally the word in Greek for to send away. And every time that that word is used in the New Testament for forgive, it's always used with God as the subject and us or people as the object. And that means that only God, only Jesus is able to do more than just be gracious to us, but to take that sin and send it away. To take that pain and send it away. To take that regret and send it away. To take that past and send it away and never, ever, ever use it against you again. Son, your sins are forgiven. That's, that's the better miracle. So today, today is um, Right to Life Sunday. It's the day where pastors all across the nation are supposed to preach about abortion and pro-life causes. And I'm totally pro-life, totally. But I don't do it. I don't preach about abortion. And the reason why is because I, I, I read an article about a, a pastor in New York. He's kind of like my hero. His name's Tim Keller. And I've never met him, but he's a, I love the guy. And he preaches in New York City, so he doesn't preach on abortion on Right to Life Sunday. And, and they came and they asked him, and he told them the story about how this card-carrying ACLU member came to his church, graduated from Yale, first in her class, total, you know, yes, abortion, yes, all these other social issue causes on the liberal side, totally progressive, hated Christianity, started coming to his church for some reason, and slowly and surely gave her life to Jesus. But what they didn't know is that she had had three abortions. And she said that if I had come in on that Sunday and saw pro-life literature, I would have left before the message started because the sermon starts in the parking lot. Years later, she comes to Christ because Tim Keller has a wonderful way of talking about Jesus constantly. And then she had a conversation with Tim later. And she asked him, do you, do you think that abortion is wrong? He said, yeah. She said, I'm beginning to see it that way too. Our problem is that we want Jesus to fix people. But Jesus wants to forgive them first. Get them to Jesus and then get out of the way. It's not about getting them to vote like us or think like us or raise their kids like us. It's about getting them to the only one who can take their past, their regrets, their transgressions and not just cover them over but wash them white as snow. And maybe you've had an abortion. And if I was just to preach about how awful it is, it would just add to that burden that you carry around every single day. Or maybe you're gay. And you get scared about coming to a church like this because you have watched the news and how the news loves to pit Christianity against homosexuality. Do you know why they do that? Because they love drama and conflict. And Jesus told us, blessed are the peacemakers. And so if you're gay and you're here, I'm glad you're here. My job is not to convert you from homosexuality to heterosexuality. 
My job is to introduce you to Jesus and then get out of the way. And yes, I will tell you, yes, I will tell you that the sin of homosexual sex will destroy you, yes. But I'm more concerned that the burden of your sins will eat your heart away piece by piece. And maybe you're not somebody who's had an abortion or maybe you're not somebody who's gay. Maybe you're just bitter, angry, filled with lust, prideful. Why not come to Jesus and let him send that sin away? Because when you can hang out with a bunch of people who know you're hard to live with and still accept you in a church, that's when it feels like home. <laughs>